I did not mention earlier, if you're a guest with us uh, for the first time, I want to say welcome to Calvary Bible, and I trust it'll be a blessing to you. If it is your first time here since I've been the pastor, uh, we do have a gift bag for you. There's some blue bags just in the main entryway here that's got some information about Calvary, um, as well as a book and some a gift for you. So we are glad that everybody is here. Also, if you're a first-time guest, connected to your bulletin, there's a connections card. If you would fill that out and leave it in the pew rack right in front of you, we would appreciate that so we could have a record of your visit and, and follow up, hopefully. We're glad that everybody's here and uh, trusting that you are prepared to study the Word of God as um, I've been just so <clears throat> um, enamored by this story and able to spend this week talking about it. We talked about it a couple weeks ago when we observed communion, and we will spend a little bit of time uh, finishing the story next week. But I hope that as exciting as the story is, it will come off that way. A lot of people, when they want to use a word to describe church, a lot of people, hopefully folks outside of our church, will use the word boring. Some people think the word of God is boring. And if you have spent any time in God's word, you understand that this book is not boring. Um, it is exciting, and what we're going to go through today is such a vivid story, and it's also very applicable. Hopefully, you'll be able to get some handles uh, from our study and take something to apply right to your life um, today. Would you bow with me in prayer one more time? Gracious and loving Father, we look to you with a wonderful, wonderful request that you would do what you have said you would do, and that is give wisdom to those who ask for it. I would ask on behalf of all those who hear this message today for your wonderful supernatural teaching. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for those that know you as um, their God and Jesus Christ as Savior for the promise that the Holy Spirit will teach us something. Yes, we can look at the story and learn something from our human minds, but we thank you that you can do something within the hearts. Would you prick our hearts today? Would you allow us in whatever area we come into this place with, with a need, would you take some encouragement from your word and from our study and apply it right to each one that would hear this? We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. We're finishing up the summertime, and as summer comes, a lot of things come along with it. I know that a lot of you have had an opportunity to uh, frequent the Carnival downtown. Several of you have worked. And I want to say thank you for those that volunteered either at the radio station booth at Lapeer Days or else at the church station that we have there. We give out information about the church. We provide a service for the ones that have babies there that need to change a diaper. Um, real quick, it's, it's such a great need. I talked with a parent yesterday and they walked by and said, oh, look, there's a diaper changing station right there. And I said, yeah, come back and use it. They said, oh, we just went into one of the porta potties and changed the diaper in that. And I said, oh, I felt so bad and I'm wondering how can we tell the folks better? Some of you are very good at recruiting. We also um, advertise the preschool while we are there and lots of parents have a need for that. Before I left the fair last night, <clears throat> I was getting ready. I hadn't seen everything yet. There's a craft area, which is not the first place that I go typically. No offense to all you crafty people. Um, but I did want to make sure I saw everything. So I didn't want to go by myself. I grabbed my daughter and I said, let's go down and look down at the rides and down at the crafts before we go home for the evening. I will let you know the last thing I did was have an elephant ear there. I will tell you that. It was light on sugar and cinnamon, so I feel a little bit better, but... 
we went down to the craft area and as we look at the different things it's fun to see the creativity that so many people have with what they can make and of course most of them are vendors they're selling something as we went and looked at the different ones it was interesting to see um, that the bible comes into play so often if you walk around and keep your eyes open, you will find Bible verses that have been imprinted on something or sewn on something or painted on something, and you can purchase those for your home. This morning, as I was approaching the message, I thought to myself, I wonder what the most common Bible verses that get put on some kind of a plaque are. I know some of you, the wheels are turning already. If you were going to, because the Bible's such a wonderful book. But no doubt, some of those verses stand out in our minds more than others. And so if you were going to sell a piece of, cra you know, a piece of art or put a verse on something, and a verse that might be special to you, but also that might resonate with others that would want to purchase that, what are some verses that might come to mind? As I thought about it, I had some verses immediately that came to my mind, perhaps one that you might have on a coffee cup even. Uh, that's how we see it sometimes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That makes it its way onto a lot. Some of you thought of that one probably. The verse that comes up a lot, be still and know that I am God. We find that verse often. Surely I am with you always. Someone gave me a little plaque that said that years ago and it's displayed in my office because the presence of God with us is something that makes all the difference in the world for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I think that one verse that, um, is going to stand up very high, is going to be one that's familiar to us, that says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I had the opportunity to pray with a local high school team before a game years ago, and it was a public school, and I wasn't sure exactly how to approach it, but I used that verse, and those guys, that got them pumped up. That was almost as good as the coach's pre-game talk. I used that scripture in my prayer before the game, and they were excited about that. And that verse there tells us something that we need to remind ourselves of, to wait on the Lord, but also to be renewed for the journey that God has us on. Because if we're being honest, and by the way, the people around you need to see that honesty. They need to see that there are times when you are running and you should be getting weary. And maybe there are some times when you do get weary. And so you have to go and wait on the Lord. There are some times when you're simply walking and it feels like you're going to faint. And individuals around us, and for you, for yourself, and for followers of Jesus Christ that would join together in a fellowship, they need to see that about you, that you can wait on God and that you can move forward with an incredible change in your life. Today we're going to see how the Apostle Paul goes from a prisoner on a, uh, he starts out on a boat, which is smaller, and he gets on a ship, which is bigger. He goes out, go, he starts out as a prisoner and he ends up as the unofficial captain, giving the orders that would save the entire crew and the, all the passengers' lives. There are some applications that we can take from this. A couple of weeks ago, we observed the Lord's Supper, and we used Acts 27 just very briefly. 
But very clearly, the promises of God are something that we can take from this, that God makes promises and God's keeps, God keeps his promises. And all God's children said, amen. You need to have this book as a part of your insides, taking it in your mind and in your heart so it spills out of you because there's gonna come a time where you have to call out to God. And the world promises so many things and they offer so many things that will not, as we sang a little bit ago, I can't remember the exact wording, but peace that endureth, I think is what it says, right? The world offers plenty of things that satisfy for a season, but God offers peace that endures. So one application could be God keeps his promises. Another one that we won't spend a lot of time on is the balance between God's providence and by the way, God's in control of all of this. God's providence balanced out with human responsibility. And the idea there is, is that some individuals will think, well, God's in control of all this, so I can just put my hands behind my head and kick my feet up and trust God. Well, we do trust God, but he, that does not negate the fact that we have to do what he called us to do and what he's commanded us to do. I love, I love the old expression, trust the Lord but lock your car. That's a great expression, isn't it? <laughs> we need to apply that. A third application, this is the one that we're going to key in on today. One of the greatest tasks that Paul um, gives here, that he takes on, as he steps into a place of leadership, one of the greatest things that Paul does on this ship is he is a minister of encouragement. And I want to challenge you today to be a minister of encouragement. So that's kind of the, kind of the takeaway right there. I want you to be challenged. I want you to have eyes that see someone around you, someone that you can encourage. Celeste Holmes said years ago, we live by encouragement and we die without it, slowly, sadly, and angrily. And there's an expectation that all believers who will wait on the Lord to renew their strength, that they will renew their strength, but it's not just so they can get through another day, even though I know sometimes that's in a pla the place where you're at, you're just trying to get through another day. But the reason that God's got you in this world is not taking you home to where there is no more pain is so that you can minister to someone else, so you can produce fruit for him. You renew your own strength and then you, steer, then you clearly stand in a world where you have a confidence in a God that is in control of your life. Where no matter what happens to you, no matter how big the waves are that come crashing down, you have a confidence that God is good and that he loves you and he's going to work these things out for his glory and for your good. And I understand that we walk through life with blinders on sometimes because I can't see it, right? We don't see clearly now. There will come a day where this fog is lifted and we can see more clearly. And until that day comes, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so I want to challenge everyone hearing this message today to choose someone to encourage. Encouragement is an urgent need of our day. A church that is not developing encouragers is very soon going to phase out of ministry within its walls and ministry outside of its walls. It will not have an effectiveness in its community. And I want to suggest to you that all around you are individuals that are in need. They don't always tell you. Have you figured out yet that folks don't wear a button that says, I'm having kind of a lousy day? Or... Hey, would you just smile at me because nobody has yet today? 
or hey, the physical touch that you would give me, that meant a lot to me last, last week. People don't advertise that. And so you have to be proactive and understanding. Now, I don't have to talk very long about telling you the kind of hurt that you've experienced. You know the hurt that's been there in the past. You know the storms that you've gone through. All around us, even this very minute, there are storms in people's lives. And that's why they need you. I'm not leaving anybody out. I'm trying to make eye contact with everybody in the room right now. They need you to encourage them. No one is exempt from this. The Bible teaches us that we are to be more concerned about the needs and the feelings of others than our own. And as a church family joins together and we learn the one another's that are taught throughout the New Testament, this, one of the most beautiful places that we can demonstrate this is going to be in our church family. We see the Apostle Paul has Christians that are with him that he encourages. He has folks that know nothing about Jesus Christ that are with him. The Apostle Paul on this ship has individuals that I believe, believe very clearly were heading to their death. Fellow prisoners, they're about to die. Now, if you can write the story yourself and you've got an individual on a boat ride that's going to die in Rome and you're, you're writing this, who can you put along as a passenger on that boat to maybe tell them about Jesus Christ? Could you pick somebody better than the Apostle Paul? You couldn't. That's what we're going to see in this today. If you want to take away from the message, it is this. God's faithfulness and promises need to define our lives in such a way that we can encourage others with that hope that God has instilled in us. His faithfulness and his promises need to define our lives in such a way that we can encourage others. And we have to do this as a church family. We have to be interdependent as a church family. Don't misunderstand that. Not dependent and not just someone just giving all the time. Those are the two main things that we see usually as we look around. Some folks are very dependent. Some folks are very giving. If you're a giving person and yet you have no dependence on a group, then you're not making yourself vulnerable. Do you like making yourself vulnerable? I sure don't. How many of you trust the person around you enough to make yourself vulnerable to them? And yet that's God's plan. God's plan for his church is that we are interdependent. So like I was talking to someone just a week or two ago and they said, I've not been able to be with my church for quite some time now and it ruins my whole week. And I was sad to hear that it ruined their whole week, but I thought to myself, what a beautiful picture of what God's church is supposed to be. They're missing something. And it's not just that they're dependent, they are serving, they are giving, they are working interdependence so not just someone that comes and takes and takes and takes and not just someone that gives and gives and gives but genuinely you're missing out on something if you're not depending on a church family and genuinely you're missing out on God's plan if you're not giving something to his family interdependence and we cannot get away from the fact that we have a God who is in charge and who loves us and is going to take care of us we love that do not forget that. Do not step, stop memorizing verses that say that. But I know that if you're like me, sometimes you're like the little boy who was talking to his dad at night and the little boy said, Dad, I'm scared. And the dad tried to teach him a lesson and he said, well, son, you know, God is with you. And the son said, yeah, I know, Dad, but I want someone with skin on, you know. <laughs> and many of us want someone with skin on. That's what we need. 
All right, all that to bring us to our text. If you turn to Acts 27, if you're not already there, turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, and we will uh, jump on board with the Apostle Paul, with the centurion, with a couple of other believers, and with several others who were scared for their lives. Years ago, there was a passenger on a ship, and they were passing through some rough waters in the Atlantic. And this passenger was keeping near the rail for obvious reasons. He was getting sick repeatedly. Um, and he was just miserable this whole time. A steward came by the passenger and he tried to encourage him and he said these words. He says, well, you know, don't be too discouraged. No one has ever died yet from seasickness. To which the passenger replied, oh, don't say that. It's only the possibility of dying that's kept me going this far. (laughs) If you've ever been seasick, if you've ever had that kind of nausea, maybe you can relate a little bit with what's going on here. If you have a map, and everybody does, if you've got a bulletin today, you've got a map. It's the exact same one that we'll see um, on the screen there. And this is a great map to take. Our office developed this, and um, we're doing a lot of jumping around, but that will help you. And we're going to learn a little bit of uh, nautical jargon today, a little bit, a few terms that I wasn't as familiar with before. So a map is helpful with this study. But let's go ahead and look at the first verse in Acts 21. We'll read down through verse 3. I'm sorry, Acts 27, Acts 27, starting in verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarked in, and embarking in a ship of Adraminium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. All right, let's stop right there and talk about this. Paul, with some other prisoners, is now heading for Rome. You can see the direction. So as you look at the uh, map, map there, it goes from right to left. You can see the way the arrows are pointing. He's with some other prisoners. They're heading for Rome. As I mentioned, I alluded to earlier, many of the individuals with him would be going to Rome to die. At Rome at that time, they had the Colosseum, and they had to have individuals that would be fodder for the lions as they would join together and they would celebrate the uh, death and as many Christians would die, but they had to keep supplying individuals. And so many of them would be going to die um, from the lions. If someone was burly enough, they might be trained as a gladiator. These are some that are going to be on this boat and then this ship with the Apostle Paul. Along with him also is Aristarchus, This is a Christian friend that could help him. And also Dr. Luke. By the way, we've got this map. We've got meticulous records here that the the, uh, non-biblical world uses to learn about this area. I mean, you can see, and we'll get into this this week and next week, they take soundings and they have the depth of the sea at that point and they get close. Incredibly, Dr. Luke right there with Paul recording this giving credibility to it. This is not just some make-believe book that many people will say. The history, very clear in God's involvement in what we see. So Aristarchus and Dr. Luke, a couple of believers, and Julius the centurion. Now, some soldiers during this day would be ones that would, would work directly with the shipping routes, and that's Julius, this guy here. 
He knew very well what he was doing, and he was in charge of the incredible amount of shipping that Rome had to do. Rome needed to import between 150,000 and 200,000 tons of grain each year. And so they would have some shipping vessels that would carry this grain. The majority of it came from the breadbasket of their day, and that would be Egypt. It was the main supplier. Julius, we see here, is very kind to Paul. That might seem a little bit odd because the guy's a prisoner. He's in chains. And yet, Julius is very kind to him. He lets him go. If you've been paying attention to the responsibility that Roman soldiers had as they guarded someone, you've caught this. If a Roman soldier was guarding someone and their prisoner escaped, the punishment for that Roman soldier would be whatever the punishment for the one that escaped had coming. So if it was death, they would die. If it was something else, they would receive whatever that person uh, would have received, the one that got away. And so it seems odd that Julius lets him go to be with some friends. And I can't spend too long on this, but you need to not miss the fact that he goes in verse 3 there to some friends not to preach, not to encourage a church, but he goes to these friends to, if you saw it there, it says to be cared for. We put the Apostle Paul up on this huge pedestal so often because he's, he's the greatest Christian I've ever read about, and so we think he's above human, but he's not. Paul needed to be cared for, and he had a physician with him, and he had Aristarchus with him to help him along, but he went to some friends offshore there while they were stopped here. And that's unusual, that a prisoner would be let go by himself, and I'll just give you my opinion on it. I think that, well, let me ask you this, if you've been following this journey with us, is the Apostle Paul guilty or innocent? He is innocent, right? So I think Festus, who he just came from that time with Festus, knew this, and I think Festus tells the centurion this. I, say, I think he says, you're gonna have no trouble at all with this guy here, with Paul. In fact, let him take along his physician if you want. Let him take another guy to help him if you like. You'll have no trouble with this one. You can let him, in fact... In fact, Julius, let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said to King Agrippa in one of his trials. You're not going to believe this. So I think very much so the reputation of Paul was going along with him or was preceding him possibly, and that's what's taking place. Let's look at verse 4 as we see them travel from Sidon to Myra. Verse number 4. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now, we find the phrase there, under the lee. How many of you are familiar with that phrase, under the lee? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. I, I, knew, I knew some sailors would raise their hand. I knew that would happen. Under the lead is, is talks about, doesn't talk about north, south, east, or west when they're going a certain way there. When they use the words under the lee, it means under the protection of the land. And we're going to see it three times here in Acts 27. So they're, they're traveling under the protection of the land, so the wind that would come. So they would stay close to that land so they would have protection from the strong wind. And Paul, the centurion, and the others at first are on that smaller boat. The boat is smaller, staying close by the coast, just kind of coast hopping up, very safe. And now we see the prisoners are transferred to an Egyptian cargo ship heading, headed for Italy. And now they go from Myra to Fairhaven. Look at verse 7 with me. We sailed slowly for a number of days 
and arrived with difficulty, all this is important, arrived with difficulty off Nidus, and as the wind did not, as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete at Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. All right. So it's a pretty clear explanation of this route that they go and what takes place. The Apostle Paul stands up and he speaks. Different individuals are going to have different opinions about what he says here. I personally do not think this was a prophetic word. Paul had a prophetic word um, uh, throughout Acts. But I don't think that's what this was. I don't think God told him this danger was coming. I think that it was basically his experience that told him this. There are a few different factors that come into play here. One is his experience. In 2 Corinthians 11, we learn that Paul had actually been in three shipwrecks. He's probably got everybody here outnumbered with that, right? So he'd been traveling, establishing churches, three shipwrecks. I imagine he did not want to be in a fourth. Also, the season they were in indicated they were in danger. There's a couple things that we read there that talk about that. So traveling slowly, not going like they would want to, since so much time had passed, and now they were in a certain season. It says the voyage was dangerous because the fast was now over. That fast is a reference to the Jewish holiday, Yom Kippur. And we can trace history and see when that was. They celebrated that fast, which is actually the only feast that has a fast attached to it of the Jewish people. They celebrated that right around early October. Those that would know sailing during this time knew that there was a season when nobody sailed. From mid-November to early March, you could not sail on the Mediterranean. It would be um, a suicide trip if you did. From mid-November to early March, you could not sail on the Mediterranean. But there was a time that was a gamble. You could go, but it was very, very risky. You're taking your life in your own hands. And that would be from mid-September to mid-November. And so as we can look back and research this, we know that they were early October, maybe mid-October when they were going because it was going slow. And the centurion had a, a few different opinions, or at least two different opinions given to him about what they should do. They land in this place called Fair Haven. Doesn't Fairhaven sound like a lovely place on an island to be at? It's not. Not a nice place for winter. So probably somebody very good on the city council thought up the name of that, of that city and thought they could attract people by calling it Fairhaven. It's not a good place to winter, okay? It did not have protection from the winds that would come across, and they did not want to stay there. And as the centurion, he's making the call here. He gets the word from Paul. Paul says, we need to not go out again. We need to stay here. We'll be safe if we do. He talks to the captain. He talks to the owner of the uh, ship. And we cannot fault the centurion for listening to them with these differing opinions. 
And uh, so they try to make it to Phoenix for the winter. All right. How many of you, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Make it to Phoenix for the winter. Anybody in here? I know a few of you, a few of you love that idea. I know. Some are Floridians for the wintertime. Some are winter Texans. Some are Phoenicians. And um, snowbirds is what we think of. So these guys need to spend somewhere for the winter because they're not going to make it all the way on this long trip across. They can't do it. So Phoenix is about 40 miles to the west. Let's go and make it there. That's the decision made. And amazingly enough, I think it was the next day, a nice, perfect southern breeze comes along. We've accomplished our purpose. Get the sail going and let's head towards Phoenix. And so the trip starts out very nice, but it does not end very nice. That south wind came and then we come to verse number 13 as they travel from Fairhaven and they don't make it to Phoenix, but they actually go to Malta eventually. Look in verse 13 with me. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a a, a tempestuous wind called the nor'easter struck down from the land and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat and after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship then fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered their gear, and thus they were driven along. And since we were violently, st- we violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So this big storm comes. We call storms like this different things in different places. In the Pacific, they call it a typhoon. In the Gulf of Mexico, they call it a hurricane. And here they call this a northeaster. These sailors and those who lived there knew what this was. And in verse 16, we saw that they pull in the smaller boat. This is a, a dinghy, if you will. They would pull it behind. And in this kind of a storm, it would, it's going to get to the point where they lose it or else it could just be a detriment to keeping this, the, the ship afloat. They get to a place where they have a little bit of cover and they're able to pull in that smaller boat. And then they actually, in verse 17, wrap some cables or ropes around the ship. Um, As some folks have studied through this, they say on these large uh, grain vessels, there might be one huge mast with a sail. And when this huge wind would come, it's going to put incredible pressure where it's connected to the ship. It's going to make the boat break apart. So they would wrap cables around it so it would not tear apart at this time. And then it says they lowered the gears. This is not, this is a sea anchor, but it's not an anchor to go to the bottom of the sea. It's an anchor to help guide the ship. So that's what they're doing in the middle of this storm. Look in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. And since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, 
For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Boy, that's a good life verse right there. It will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. There was no ability for them to see anything that they could navigate with. They could not see the sun by day. They could not see the stars by night. And I think we find a good summary in verse 20 uh, that describes the scene. All hope of being saved was abandoned. They had not eaten for several days. Maybe this was because they were seasick and couldn't keep anything down. Maybe because they just couldn't possibly do that because they thought they were going to die. Maybe they were nervous. And so Paul stands up. This is such a great passage on leadership. Paul starts out as someone very, very low in chains and he stands up as a leader and he tells them to take heart because of what he knew. And I don't think different people have different opinions on the first thing that Paul says. Some people say it's a big fat I told you so to these folks. It seems that way, doesn't it? Maybe. I think, I think how we determine the Bible oftentimes reflects our personalities though, so be careful there with that. I don't think it's a big I told you so. I think he's trying to establish credibility here. I think he is saying, I told you before what was gonna happen. You didn't listen to me. And all of that is so that they will pay attention to him from now on. That's my opinion. They had not eaten for several days, and so he says you need to eat something. He establishes credibility, and then he says everything's going to be all right. Now, before he even got on this ship, the Apostle Paul knew that he was going to survive this trip. He knew. He knew that he would stand in Rome because God said it, and he believed it. So he knew he would survive. And yet he stands up, and he says nobody will be lost. He cares for them. I think, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think the Apostle Paul interceded on behalf of, yeah, his two Christian buddies. But I think on behalf of these Roman soldiers, and I think on behalf of the prisoners. And by the way, just because Paul is innocent and a good guy, don't think that all these guys didn't deserve to be in chains and deserve to be executed. These are some bad guys, and yet the Apostle Paul intercedes for them. And at the risk of going much longer than we need to today, can I just encourage you to have eyes that would see individuals that does not say, I'm not going to talk to them about Christ or I don't care about them. Let their people take care of them. Paul had a heart for everyone. And even this morning, I was fast-forwarding to heaven. Has anybody else fast-forwarded to heaven in your life? You're, you're almost there thinking about it sometimes and wondering about as we're in heaven and as hopefully you'll have a chance someday to tell millions your story about how you came to Jesus Christ. I was thinking this morning about the possibility of coming across someone and you share how you came to Christ and what your story is and what got you there in Jesus and the different people and things that God used and talking to someone. And then as you're talking, sharing your story, maybe someone up in heaven shares their story and they say this, yeah, let me tell you my story. I was on a ship and there was this horrible storm. And, well, you know who he is, Jeremy. It used to be Saul of Tarsus, but now he's the Apostle Paul. And he told us we were all going to survive. And it came true. And he told us about his God. And I became converted when I heard what Jesus could do. I hope I meet somebody that was a passenger on this ship. We don't have a record of uh, anybody that came to Christ because of it, but I have uh, very little doubt 
that some people saw this and it impacted their lives in an incredible, incredible way. Paul says everything's going to be all right. Maybe he was interceding on behalf of them like Abraham interceded for Sodom. We leave that part out so much. He loved and interceded for the city of Sodom. And Paul pleaded with God for the lives of his traveling companions. And so disaster is going to turn into deliverance. There was a pastor in a small southern church years ago. And he was having one of his seasoned older deacons pray in the service. And that older seasoned deacon got up to pray. And uh, the young pastor didn't think of anything out of the ordinary would happen. And the old deacon got up and said, Lord, I hate buttermilk, just like that, as he was praying before the church. And he said, Lord, I hate lard, just like that. And the young pastor kind of opened his eye and wondered if he was going to have to step in there at some point. Lord, I ain't too crazy about plain flour either. But Lord, after you mix them all together and put them in a hot oven, Lord, I just love biscuits, that southern deacon said. Lord, help us to realize that when life gets hard and when we don't understand what you're doing, we need to wait and see what you are making. Lord, please help me to tell others around me that you've probably got something better in store, even better than biscuits, Lord. Amen. And he closed it like that. It's funny how we learn. Sometimes it's not really funny the lessons that God teaches as we go. We hate those sometimes. They're so difficult. Let me give you a couple things that you can do. I've, been, I've challenged you to be an encourager today like the Apostle Paul was. Encouragement is an urgent need in our day. And I want to challenge you. Nobody's excluded from this, okay? To do something. First of all, seek out someone that you're acquainted with, maybe closely, maybe just a, a fairly acquainted with, and seek out how you might encourage them. And be creative, Okay? Um, maybe you've been encouraged in some way in the past, and maybe you can do something like that. Be creative. Let others around you know that someone cares for them. By the way, genuinely care for them. To, to do something and not genuinely have it as a part of your life and who you are is going to, it's going to fall on deaf ears, and it's not going to make an impact. But after a while, an individual will know if you are genuine. They will know if you genuinely care. So be creative. I gave you a more specific one with number two, but I want to challenge you to write a note of encouragement to someone. Write a note of encouragement to someone, someone, maybe a card. And for all the millennials, I put it right in there. Go ahead and send a text of thoughtfulness to someone. I had a great thing happen in the past month. Uh, Tina gave me a call, and Tina said, Hey, um, I'm trying to get some wording for something I'm trying to word something just the right way on my job and you received a letter a while back and I know you still have it. And so would you try to find that letter that someone wrote you, a letter of encouragement? Some of you are familiar with this. This is what I call an encouragement file. It's fairly fat, which makes me happy. And um, Tina said, I want to find a letter from this person. They wrote this here. So I found myself tasked with the idea of finding a letter in here. And that meant that probably an hour of my day, and it turned into more like two hours, was going through this file, which has letters of encouragement, cards, some words that came at an amazing time, some people I hardly know, and several of you. And I don't save every card that I get. I, I couldn't. 
but I went through this file and I looked through trying to find someone and someone in this room actually that wrote just perfect wording. And I found myself for a couple hours just encouraged. I had a pastor encourage me years ago to start a file like this because he said someday you're gonna need it. Pull it out on a dark day and read through that. It's amazing the encouragement that come, but sometimes we have a hard time saying it. Sometimes we just can't, we don't get across what we want to get across. There was a woman who was reading a book on parenting and she was challenged with the effect that she had on her son and she was encouraged with this book to change some things that she did. So she said, right now I'm gonna start it and she put down the book and she started to march up the stairs to where the son was in his room playing his music. And so she knocked on the door. Son, do you got a minute? Well, I've always got a minute for you, Mom. Come on in. And so she walked in and she said, you know, I just want to let you know, I, I just like the way you play your music. I think you do a good job. You like my music, Mom? Yeah, I like your music. Well, thanks, Mom. That's nice. And she turned around and walked out. She got about halfway down the stairs and she knew that she had failed. She didn't get it out. Didn't give the message that she wanted to. And so she turned around and walked back and knocked on the door. Son, you got a minute? I've always got a minute for you, Mom. I told you that. Well, son, I just wanted to let you know that your, your dad and I, we, we just, we like you so much. We just think you're great. Dad and you, Mom? Yeah, yeah, me and your dad, we think you're great. Turned around and walked out. And she knew she didn't say what she wanted to say. So she turned around and walked back. And before she got to the door, the son called out, Yeah, I've got a minute, Mom. Come on in. So she went and sat down next to him and she looked him in the eyes so she could see the color of his eyes. And she said, son, I haven't told you what I want to tell you. I want to tell you that I love you, son. I don't tell you enough. And she looked at her son and she said, I love you. And he said, you love me, mom? She said, yeah, I love you. I love you too, mom, thanks. And she got up, she accomplished her purpose and she walked out. She got a little ways down the hall and the son opened the door and said, you got a minute, mom? Just like that. She said, she laughed and she said, yeah, I've got a minute for you. And he asked the question, have you been to a seminar recently? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> you know, sometimes we don't get the words out that we want to. And I know what it's like. I know you'll sit down and you'll think about what you want to say to that one. Or if they come across my path again, I'm going to take that opportunity I'm going to tell them thank you. I'm going to tell them I love you. I'm going to tell them God bless you. I want to encourage you today, don't miss that chance. Can you imagine with the, you know, 175 or so people that are here this morning, if every one of you were to take this challenge to encourage, can you imagine, picture the water, picture, picture the, the pond, picture this rock of these 175 souls right here, rippling, all throughout, goes to the hospital and goes to the school, goes to your workplace, goes to your neighborhood. I mean, boy, I wish I would have thought of this earlier and had just some kind of a great graphic of this ripple effect going. And it heads down to Ohio and it heads to Arizona and it heads to Florida when it gets cold here. And the ripple effect. Don't walk out of here and miss it. Take the challenge. Paul stood up and he encouraged those believers that were with him those soldiers that were with him and those ones that were going to die. And can I challenge you today, be an encouragement to those who you love and an encouragement to you. 
be encouragement to those that would inflict chains or pain upon you and inflict those and encourage someone who's going to be knocking on death's door very soon. Because if not you, then who? Let's have 100% participation on this one. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to see how you worked over the years, to see what you did at this time. And I stand with an optimism that I will meet folks someday that experience this, that were sick on that ship and had lost heart. And as we'll see next week, the actual shipwreck and what you did and how Paul was used, I thank you, God, for his example. As he followed Jesus Christ, help us to follow his example. And God, I would pray that right here in this place, there would be some that would follow Paul's example and follow Jesus Christ's example. And then someone else around them would see them and would say, I will follow their example. A younger woman here would see a faithful woman who's older and say, I will follow their example. And these young people would see someone in their 20s that loves Jesus Christ and say, yeah, there's someone that loves you, God. And may we see an incredible ripple effect going from our church family and from those hearing this message today. We thank you that it was because of your grace that Paul did all of this in his day. And it's because of your grace that you will do it in our day through us. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, no one looking around, maybe you've just come to this point today and you've needed some encouragement. I get that. You need to be encouraged. You need to be surrounding yourself with folks that will do it. Maybe you're here at a place today and you are one that needs to show some encouragement. You're like a sponge taking in. You need to be squeezed and encourage someone else. Maybe you're here today and you have looked through everything the world has to offer for peace, but it's a peace that does not last because it's not in Jesus Christ and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. I just want to take a moment and let you pray. Just during this time, would you just pray to God and you say whatever's on your heart. Take just a moment to pray to him, maybe to ask him to save you, maybe to make you an encourager or to send someone along to encourage you. Do that at this time. Gracious Father, I would ask that you would put someone on our hearts. Allow us, because of your promises and faithfulness that never ceases with us, to have complete confidence in who you are, and because of that, we can walk through any storm and encourage others. We praise you that you can do that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand together as we sing a closing song?